Welcome to our latest webinar for corporates. In this series, we'll be examining recent events and looking ahead at what might be in store for financial markets and the economy. Thank you for dialing in. And I hope that over the course of the next 20, 25 minutes or so, the presentation that we're going to present is going to be a more optimistic outlook as far as the economies of the globe are concerned. And we will end as we usually do on some FX market forecasts, a lot of which um, has built in the forecasts that you'll see before you, or at least um, a significant proportion of them. So if we look at the content slide first, the, uh, the what we're going to look at is the uh, latest PMIs data that we've had for, for April. See how those have pointed to a rapid turnaround in many economies. Um, then we're going to look at the employment side of, of the equation. We obviously had some interesting data from the US over the course of the, of the last week or so. Um, then we're going to look at inflation. Now, that's something that we don't look at an awful lot, but I think we are seeing a growing risk in terms of inflation pressures, both from a cost push perspective and also a demand pull perspective. And so I think revisiting inflation is important because uh, then we're going to turn our attention to monetary policy uh, before looking at the FX forecast, latest FX forecast document. Um, but let's start off as we, we normally do with a more broad macroeconomic overview. Uh, and this first slide looks at the uh, manufacturing PMI data. And what you'll see here is, um, is perhaps somewhat surprising in that it's Euroland leading the way as far as the manufacturing rebound. So although they've seen some... Uh, slowdown in economic activity within the last quarter or so, owing to the increase in restrictions and lockdown measures that are being taken across parts of Euroland. The manufacturing PMI shows that overall activity is at its strongest level that we, we've really seen post the financial crisis. And, and that is clearly a, a big positive for the Euroland economy. And uh, you're seeing that the likes of the US and uh, the UK are following closely behind. The readings across all three of those economies are uh, close to all-time highs. As I say, with Euroland, it is at basically all-time highs, uh, at least post the um, uh, revisions that we've seen to these uh, data series and data sets. And, and it does demonstrate the robustness of the COVID recovery. So we should take heart from that. And we should also see that there is support for these manufacturing economies and other manufacturing sectors from the fact that they are able to export more to other parts of the globe, particularly the likes of Asia, which is certainly supporting the recovery in manufacturing. And if you look at the, the manufacturing rebound in China, it's been impressive also. But there is a question mark over this manufacturing rebound in terms of, again, leading back to the inflation point that we're going to pick up a little bit later, which is, is this prompting some cost push inflation? And across a number of sectors, we are definitely seeing signs of cost push inflation, whether that's coming from the fact that there are container shortages and consequently containers are being sent back empty at the expense of those that are ordering goods from overseas um, or indeed it's just leading to supply chain problems in terms of material shortages um, 
and, and, and that is that is creating some materials inflation also. So the manufacturing rebound is encouraging in terms of activity, but it also paints a picture of potentially higher inflation for some uh, period of time. And prob- probably that is actually welcome as far as inflation is, is, is concerned, because if anything, the course of the last five or six years has seen inflation rates persistently too low across the likes of Euroland and the UK, less so in the US, but certainly Euroland and the UK have had persistently too low inflation rates over that period. If we look at services, then the picture is materially different. So you can see here that Euroland is lagging behind that of the UK and the the US. In fact, uh, the the UK and US are running, broadly speaking, neck and neck, a rapid bounce in their services sector. Um, The UK's bounce has been created by the unlocking of the services sector post the, uh, the, the March unlocking, the initial date for the March unlocking. And in Euroland, there's more great or greater restrictions on the services sector still in situ than perhaps in these other economies. The US hasn't had a lockdown in services similar to what we've seen in the UK and Euroland. And as a consequence, it has persistently outperformed over the course of the first quarter and into Q2. But as I say, the UK is is catching up relatively quickly. Um, it is worthwhile noting that we would anticipate that the Euroland Services PMI will catch up. It will will recoup its lost ground over the next few months and uh, effectively read similar to the readings that we're seeing in the US and UK currently. But that does suggest that their their recovery is at least a couple of months behind that of uh, the UK and the US is. And remember, services is far more important in terms of economic growth because it commands a much larger share of overall economic GDP. Now, the the, the question is whether the, the, the rally in the services sector in the UK and US would be deemed sufficient to support an earlier increase in monetary policy. And I think the argument there is probably not, but that that there are arguments to suggest that there is no further need for additional monetary stimulus and probably also fiscal stimulus in the UK and US economies. But if we look at employment, the picture is, is materially different. So we look at the the US picture, and we look at the, the UK employment picture. Um, take, take the US, for example. It was expected on Friday of last week um, for the April payrolls data that April payrolls would come in at about a million, uh, an extra net one million jobs being created in the US economy for the month of April. It came in at about a quarter of that, at 266,000. Now, that perhaps suggests that the, the net improvement from here is going to be slower than that initial improvement in a uh, post-pandemic world, and certainly in a world where you've had mass vaccinations across the US. But in the UK as well, there does seem to be a turning point in the employment numbers that suggests the unemployment increase that we were anticipating is not going to come through as materially as we were fearing. Um, and uh, And it's going to follow more down the route of the US payrolls data. So there will be a recovery. Um, There will be probably a relatively rapid recovery in some sectors, things as the retail and services sector 
reopens, then those that are on furlough will be re-employed. Um, and, and that means that unemployment rates are likely to be lower than was previously feared. Arguably as well, I think this will be uh, seen in, in, in Euroland, even though their economy is a few months behind in terms of their recovery. But there is going to still be lasting scarring because the, the, the pace of recovery does look as if it's slowing in the likes of the US, um, then I think that we're, we're probably talking uh, a 12 to 18 month delay as far as the labour market's recovery is concerned versus the, uh, the recovery in terms of economic GDP. And arguably as well, the, the makeup of these economies is going to look materially different. So fundamentally, as far as I'm concerned, the employment data is a very strong reason why central banks should act cautiously in terms of not only uh, looking to raise interest rates, but also in terms of tapering off the um, monetary stimulus that's be being still added into the economy. We have seen some tapering of stimulus uh, from the likes of the, the, the UK in terms of buying the bonds and particularly government guilts somewhat more slowly than they'd previously been uh, wedded to. But I would argue that they're still going to buy the amount of bonds that they say they were going to buy. And equally in the US, the Federal Reserve have been ultra cautious in saying that they're not going to relax in terms of the pace of asset purchases for the foreseeable future. So we can expect that that, that um, uh, amount of bond buying to be in situ throughout the summer, in my opinion. If we move on to the next point, and, and uh, the, the one I really think is, is going to be vexing central banks, we have seen a sizable pickup in inflation. We got inflation data um, for the month of April, um, and that will show the headline rate rising from 2.6% to 3.6%. That's clearly above where the Fed's target is. But again, going back to the, uh, the, the course of the last few years, U.S., inflation rates have undershot targets um, and there have been other factors that have, have led to the Federal Reserve loosening policy. Now that inflation pickup is in part coming from cost push and I've mentioned some of the areas where that cost push inflation is coming through um, but it's also coming through from demand pull and, and you've seen that because in the US uh, you've had this huge amount of, of fiscal stimulus, particularly checks being written to households and individuals, um, the, some of which is over $2,000 over recent months. Consequently, that is a very helpful in terms of supporting a consumption explosion. Um, but I'm not sure that manufacturing and the supply chains are able to keep pace with that. So there may be some evidence of demand pull inflation in there as well. I've mentioned at the third point of this slide that the bar for inflation as far as central banks is concerned is much higher than it was in previous years because of the persistent undershoots. But also taking you back to that previous slide on unemployment, uh, the reason that, that, that central banks are reluctant to raise interest rates or or reduce the amount of monetary stimulus is that they see that lasting scarring on employment, which could have a very negative effect in terms of average earnings growth over the course of, of the coming years. But there's a different relationship between fiscal and monetary policy than that which we've seen since the financial crisis. For a lot of economies, the relationship has been that fiscal policy has been um, very tight 
and monetary policy has been very loose as a counterbalance. Now you've got the position where fiscal policy has been extraordinarily loose um, and monetary policy has also been loose, but that that has been prompted uh, that has prompted rather a, uh, a a change in the balance as far as overall demand is concerned and as levels of economic output are recouped to pre-pandemic levels i think we will see that fiscal policy stimulus withdrawn so that will do plenty of the heavy lifting for central banks so although we might be considering and central banks might be considering the prospect of tightening policy they will have to consider that fiscal policy in many of these economies will do it will be doing quite a lot of damage to potential economic output the argument away from that is what happens if commodity price inflation well, that cost push inflation is more lasting uh, how will they how will central banks deal with that or what happens if we get another round of significant asset price inflation uh, like we saw post the financial crisis when monetary policy was ultra loose for a prolonged period of time so although inflation is a is a growing risk there are counterbalancing factors as far as lost economic output and lost jobs and those are, are certainly keeping central banks' power to drive for the time being. But I think inflation is a story that we will have to monitor very closely because I think it will start to create more consternation amongst central bank bankers the longer that it goes on for. So if we look, about, uh, look at the next slide, and this is the last slide before we get to the FX forecasts, you know, is it time to think about rate increases? Well, the, the simple answer to that is no. But in terms of how markets look at these sorts of things, it, it's more complex. It, it may be um, the case now that we are considerably considering an earlier withdrawal of, of tapering than was previously priced for. Now, that might be only a month or two earlier. Um, but for the likes of the US, it is something that by the time we reach the end of this year, 2021, and start the beginning of 2022, it, it, I think will be become an increasingly obvious uh, path for them to look at tapering off their asset purchase program in advance of raising interest rates. So the taper would have to be complete before they raised interest rates, and they would probably want to leave themselves three to six months between ending the, ending the taper and, and uh, sorry, ending the asset purchases and then raising interest rates. And it's not going to be a big in increase in interest rates, um, but it will be a valid signaling mechanism that the, uh, the crisis is over. For the likes of Euroland, I don't think there is there's any sort of near-term or even medium-term risk of even tapering. And I think that their monetary policy program is going to be in situ for a prolonged period of time. So, you know, that their, their loosening uh, will last at least a further six, maybe even 12 months beyond the time at which the Federal Reserve starts raising interest rates. And for the Bank of England, they're, they're playing piggy in the middle as far as this is concerned. They won't raise as quickly as the US, but they won't um, tighten as slowly as Europe. So they're, they're somewhere in the middle. And it's worthwhile noting again, and I think I did on a previous webinar call, the Bank of England might, for the first time, raise interest rates more than 25 basis points at their, their, their first rate rise, which is expected to come, not 
this is not our expectation this is the bank of england's expectation is that it will come before the end of uh, the second quarter of 2023 because their latest projections that we saw at the may um, bank of england meeting and within their monetary policy report suggested as much that in order to hit their their inflation projections and also to uh, maintain the gdp forecast that they would expect to rate increases before the end of Q2 2023. So that rate rise could be more than 25 basis points. Remember, the Bank of England bank rate is currently 10 basis points. So they could raise uh, arguably 40 basis points to take the bank rate to 50 basis points in one leap. They might be more cautious. They might only raise 15 basis points to take it back to 25. But I think there is a, a realistic prospect that the UK Bank of England, for the first time since they were made independent, raises interest rates by more than 25 basis points. So let's look at the FX forecast now. Um, they don't really tell us that much in terms of that we were expecting sterling to regather some strength, and it has. So it's made renewed gains back above 140. I still think as we get up towards 142 and a half, maybe 143, that's going to be a, a high watermark for sterling dollar. Much harder for sterling to continue rising above and sustaining above those levels. Um, and as for euro dollar as well, we've seen that back above 121. But again, as we're climbing towards 122 and a half, 123 or even 124, that's going to be harder to sustain going forward. Uh, and, uh, and then there's the, the argument as well as what happens if the US goes sooner with regard to its rate increases or tapering of its asset purchase program? Will that have a material effect on the US dollar? I'm not sure that it will, but markets are fickle um, and they may worry that this will do damage to risk appetite. Consequently, uh, uh, any lowering of risk appetite tends to support safe haven currencies of which the US dollar is one. Now, you will note that um, uh, the dollar Canada forecast has a little asterisk by it because we've seen tremendous strength in the Canadian dollar against the US dollar over recent weeks. In fact, we're trading down in the low, very low 120s at the moment. Uh, why is that? And, and the simple answer to that is we're not quite sure. Yes, we've seen some improvement in commodity price inflation, uh, but let's not forget Canada is well behind in terms of the vaccination program versus the likes of the US and other major economies. So I'm not convinced that, that the Canadian dollar merits the strength that it's enjoying at the moment, even though we've seen um, some action from the Bank of Canada that has perhaps been helpful in terms of overall levels of economic growth, in terms of um, the sustainability of, of, of CAD strength, I'm not yet convinced that um, the, the Canadian economy is doing enough in order to justify and merit the, um, the, the strength that it's enjoying. And then there's, there's sort of one final, final question, which is we've seen rate hikes in the likes of Turkey and Russia um, and in other emerging economies. Is that going to, to be supportive for these currencies? Are they going to benefit um, from a general improvement in risk appetite alongside the increase in interest rates. I'm not convinced. I'd, I'd, I'd have to argue that um, uh, the reason I'm not convinced by that is I think that the emerging market economies with, uh, with 
with much lower levels of vaccinations or in some cases non-existent levels of vaccinations still have a, a very tricky route back to pre-pandemic levels of output. Uh, consequently, they, they, they could materially struggle, at least in the initial phases of recovery, um, in favour of, of, of other major economies um, that will benefit from that risk appetite improvement as well. So I think it's too soon to, to be talking about a recovery in emerging market currencies, even though we have seen some improvements in the likes of the Brazilian real recently. Uh, and consequently, I think there's still going to be a lot of volatility in emerging market currencies and volatility in the FX markets as well. You know, we're we are pricing in an awful lot of good news and any setbacks that we may see with regard to the um, uh, the economic data could prove a, a, a significant net negative as far as those currency markets are concerned. So the likes of sterling um, and the euro face some uh, potential setbacks over the course of the next few months as we run into summer because of all of that good news that's already priced for. Thanks very much for listening to the webinar. We hope you found it informative. The next in the series will be available shortly.